Hi, I'm Tracy Monoknuku, the author of My Menopause Memoir. This is the first chapter and today we're going to be covering sleep challenges. So through this episode, I'm going to share with you my personal story with the challenges I had with sleep and how menopause messed with my sleep. I'm also going to be sharing a story from a dear friend who was more than happy to contribute to the book. And at the end of today's message, I'm going to give my top tips for helping you manage your sleep. Let's go. So here I am, awake at 4am and committed to getting my thoughts down on paper. All I think about and sometimes dream about is perimenopause and menopause. How to share what I'm experiencing with other women and men. I mean, it's a lot. It's confusing, sometimes debilitating, isolating, and yet here we are. An army of women shouting that we need to do better in supporting our midlife woman through this journey to source accurate, simple, and practical information on how to manage the changes that are happening to our bodies that messes with our minds and our emotions and leaves us feeling strung out, wrung out, and alone. I'm one of those women who will lay it all out there, but not before I've researched the situation because I don't like to provide inaccurate information. My search for answers to what midlife and beyond could look like started from a place of vanity, to be honest. When I turned 45, I started to visualize what would my life be like when I was in my 50s. I knew that I wanted to bust out any myths about what life should be like for a midlife woman and create something different for myself. For my 45th birthday, my friend Kim gifted me the longevity book by Cameron Diaz. It sat on my bookshelf for a few months before I picked it up and began to wade into the science of aging. I read case studies of how the body ages and how some people have lived to be a hundred or more. I was inspired. I don't remember the book having much information on hormonal changes for women, but the idea that I could have a long, healthy life by making some positive changes to my lifestyle left a lasting impression. I wanted to know more and experience a vibrant life every day. I went down the rabbit hole like many of us do when we start to explore a topic that is new to us and one that we know will help us reap the personal benefits. More books, podcasts, YouTube, investigating those that reside in the blue zone countries and how they live longer than anyone else. Then shit hit the fan. Unusual and unexpected events began to mess with my body and mind. Sleeplessness, night sweats, anxiety, fatigue, forgetfulness, a loss in confidence, inexplicable rage and more. I couldn't understand what was happening to me. It took 18 months of personal research to finally see the word that might explain my experience, menopause. For the benefit of anyone who's not yet bumped up against the world of menopause, let me break it down for you because you do not need to have Latin for this one. Meno is your menstrual cycle. Pause is, of course, to stop. But menopause isn't just one phase that happens for all women. It's broken down into a series of events and symptoms and can begin for some as early as their 30s. Premenopause. This is when you aren't experiencing any changes to your menstrual cycle and you haven't noticed any strange or unexpected symptoms. Perimenopause. This is the time the effects of your fluctuating hormones become more noticeable. 
Perhaps you're experiencing heavier or irregular periods, sleep disruptions, hot flashes, night sweats, or weight gain. These are the most common reported symptoms from women. This stage can last anywhere from four to 10 years, and for some women, even longer. That is potentially a whole decade of your life in which you have to deal with some gnarly shit. Menopause. This is the general word used for all the things that have happened to bring you to this point, but in actual fact, menopause is just one day, the day you have not had a menstrual period for 12 months. And then we have postmenopause. Everything that follows once your period stops falls into this category. This means no more PMS or periods, woohoo! No more birth control, and most perimenopausal symptoms will subside but you will need to become vigilant to your heart, brain, and bone health. Surgical menopause. is common for menopause symptoms to kickstart if you've had your ovaries surgically removed. And the symptoms of menopause are often quicker and more pronounced. If you're feeling somewhat overwhelmed and possibly disappointed that you haven't been told any of this prior to experiencing symptoms, then you are in the majority of women globally. According to the medical sources, 1.2 billion women will be in menopause by the year 2030. And if you are 30 plus and an enlightened friend has highly recommended you read this, then consider it an investment in your future health. Irrespective of where you're at today, view this memoir as a toolkit for your evolving hormonal journey. Bolstered by the conversations I had with friends, family and through my podcast, I was motivated to get ahead of what happens to a woman during menopause. I studied and completed courses on healthy aging for midlife women with a specific focus on health and fitness training. I've applied as much of the science to myself as possible with a view to support my menopause transition. So many of the changes I have made have been positive and I felt better over time. Some of the changes still require my dedicated attention. This book has been written so you can learn about this life transition through my personal experiences and the experience of some amazing women who have generously shared their stories. Guest testimonies shine a light on how every woman's menopause transition is different. According to reputable women's health resources such as the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic in the UK and the North American Menopause Society, at the time of writing, there are 35 recognized menopause symptoms. I share my 29 out of 35 symptoms. So each chapter in this podcast will be supported by scientific yet easy to understand facts and then an action list or your to-do list of ways you can support and in some cases alleviate the symptoms to take control of the out of control, making daily living that little bit easier. I am a. I'm going to start today's episode with a story from a very dear friend, Stella McGregor, who's also based in New Zealand. Stella says, "When I began to think about one symptom to share my menopause experience, I realised how challenging that was going to be. I had lots of symptoms. I'm not even sure which arrived on the scene first, or even when they did, it just felt like once I'd come to grips with one thing." Something else presented itself and sent me into another downward spiral. The lack of sleep, the mood swings, the sometimes uncontrollable rage where I really felt I could have ripped someone's head off. The weight gain, middle age spread really is a thing. 
And then having to admit that no matter what I did, I couldn't control any of it. I don't even remember when it started. One minute I was sleeping soundly, getting a solid seven to eight hours sleep a night. The next I was waking up four, five, six times every night, sometimes sweating like I'd just taught an extended spin class and just unbelievably hot like someone had snuck in and turned my electric blanket on. I would kick off the covers and strip off my clothes. I started leaving a cold wet flannel on my bedside table and after draping it across me, I would wake up what seemed like only five minutes later, absolutely freezing. The lack of sleep led to the crazy mood swings, or maybe the mood swings led to the lack of sleep. I mean, who knows? I vividly remember locking myself in my wardrobe one day, not knowing whether to cry my heart out or to pick up the keys and drive just to get away from anyone and everyone. No one really understood what was going on in my head and no matter how hard I tried to tell them, the looks on their faces said it all. Any little thing would set me off, especially with the kids. I'm a bit of a neat freak and I feel terrible now when I think back to the way I reacted to the tiniest thing. Hopefully one day they will understand I really, truly couldn't control myself. I tried to train harder, lift more, ride faster, walk further, do more push-ups, do more sit-ups, anything that would tell me I was still in control, and none of it worked. I developed a vertigo, varying degrees of it, maybe brought about by the lack of sleep, maybe just another menopause gift when you Google it, another possible symptom. I stopped drinking coffee. The vertigo stopped and I haven't touched a drop in over four years, too scared now to even have one. It was tough. I felt like I was dealing with this alone. I lost my mum in 2011. Mum was advised to have a hysterectomy quite early in her life. The male specialist said, well, if you're not planning on having more children, does it really make a difference? Mum always regretted that decision. She also had a terrible time with HRT that she was prescribed. So all of those things were on my mind. I just wanted to talk with her and it brought back my loss even more and the emotional roller coaster I was on just got more and more out of control. Amongst all of this, the problems I'd been having with my voice escalated and I thought, well, maybe it's better if I don't voice my problems and just learn to deal with it by myself. And that was so tough. I'd always love going out and being with people. I love a good party. But what was the use when no one could hear me? I know now my voice probably wasn't related to my menopause, but at the time it was a good excuse. Just as I can't quite tell you when it all started, I really can't quite remember when I started to regain control either. I started journaling. I changed quite a few things in my diet. I got back into reading and taking time to actually do nothing and not feel guilty about that. I started to sleep better, which for me made a huge difference. Strange though, the last few months, I've started getting hot flushes again, nothing like before, but enough to wake me in the night. I know listening to the Sexy Aging podcast has helped me realise we are all the same. We are all having these thoughts and we're all dealing with this shit that is menopause. And somehow that just makes it easier to deal with. My sleep challenges. Do you know that amazing feeling when you get into bed, fall asleep, stay asleep all night and wake up feeling refreshed? Yep, me neither. I wake up. It's 2am-ish. I lie in bed tossing around and I think I'll probably fall asleep again in a few minutes. 20 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes. What the fuck? Get up. 
go downstairs, make a herbal tea and open up my laptop. I am literally cringing as I write this because if I only knew not to open my laptop, if I only could have had that knowledge and self-control. The herbal tea is nice. The house is quiet. I can't even remember what I was doing on the laptop. Probably nothing productive. It's 4am. I'm feeling a bit sleepy. Go back to bed. The air conditioning is powering on and I fall asleep. 6am, alarm goes off. Feel like I've just been hit by a truck. Get up and go through the day. It was just one bad sleep, right? Next night, same situation. I am now catatonic. I was so tired when I went to bed. I thought I would sleep like the dead, but now I'm awake again at 2am. I mean, what is this witchery? Am I subconsciously preparing for an all-night dance party? I get up sooner and grab a book this time. If I'm going to be awake, me and my tea, then I'll fill my mind with a story and fatigue my eyes. This went off and on for about 18 months before I even considered to investigate a reason for sleeplessness. Even while I was on holiday away from the stress and the to-do lists, I was waking at the same time. I decided to tap into Dr. Google. This was the first time I came across the word perimenopause. I have a few older female friends and no one ever mentioned this or any other symptoms they were experiencing. My doctor had never spoken of it when we decided that the Mirena IUS at 45 years old would be a good way to continue with contraception. In my sleep-deprived state that had started to cause even more issues, I felt let down and confused as to why no one had even mentioned that I should know what perimenopause was. 40 to 60% of women in the menopause transition report sleep disturbances. Quality sleep can help to ward off other symptoms, but then here we are, the ultimate catch-22, needing to sleep, but not being able to. Here's another story by Claire Snowden Darling from the UK. My absolute worst menopause symptom has been insomnia, and it was the first symptom that presented during perimenopause and continues to be a daily battle. I had chronic fatigue for 15 years and I used to joke that I could sleep on a washing line, but when menosomnia hit, I just couldn't sleep at all. Its effect on me meant that for a year, I couldn't work. I had to try to sleep at various times of the day because I might not be able to sleep until 6am. It meant I didn't have the ability to book anything into my diary. I felt like I was a zombie, the walking dead most of the day because I was absolutely exhausted. I had virtually no help from any doctors. Actually, that's unfair. They gave me everything they could. I was given an antidepressant, cognitive behavioral therapy, told to learn a new language in the time I was awake, but I was just exhausted all the time. My brain wouldn't function. My fitness went out the window. It was absolutely horrendous. A GP had told me to give up working, which wasn't going to happen as a single self-employed mother who spent 14 years getting to the peak of my career. The antidepressants stopped working. I ended up trying to access Valium whenever I could, just to be able to have a night or two of sleep. What I've learned is I've had to be incredibly strict with my diet. If I have alcohol, my sleep goes out the window. If I'm nervous, anxious or scared, my sleep is disrupted. I've worked with sleep psychiatrists, psychiatrists taken up meditation, counseling, exercise, Everything is planned to help me get to a place of having a good night's sleep. My partner and I mostly have to sleep in separate rooms. 
I have to be in bed by 10 p.m. with the lights out and it usually takes me about an hour to fall asleep. Through all of this, I have learnt a lot about myself. I've learnt that I am resilient and to surrender. I have this communication with my body where I tell it what the next day is going to involve and I trust it to get the sleep it needs to be able to function. And some days when I get five to six hours sleep, I can kick ass and not be jacked up on coffee. It also got better when I found the right hormones for me. I'm using a natural sublingual progesterone and that really helps. Through all this, I came to the realization that I had never presented as an anxious person. Anxiety is hidden within me. It's very deep and I've learned how to work with that. I've learned so much about myself and that rest is the most important thing. I have to schedule time every day for exercise and rest time between meetings. I allow myself, even if it's just for 20 minutes, to lie in a dark room just in case I hadn't slept well the night before. I've had to learn to prioritise self-care and that's been a blessing. The message that I've learned from the menopause transition is to prioritise ourselves to be able to function for those that need us. Thanks for that, Claire. And one more story. This one's from my sister, who's also in the podcast. My sister has a, an anti-inflammatory disorder called lupus, and so she has to manage that every day. Sleep has also been disrupted for her as she also is now in the perimenopause phase. This is the story of sleep disruption from my sister Tia. Sleep, lack of, late onset, shit sleep. This has been one of the most annoying symptoms that I am experiencing in the early stage of perimenopause. I have an autoimmune disease and anyone who has the same would completely appreciate how important sleep is in managing symptoms and controlling the disease. While I've been journaling my sleep for a while and applying structured sleep hygiene, I still wasn't getting the benefits from doing that. I've spoken with my doctor who has started me on melatonin supplementation, which is fantastic. I'm not a candidate yet for HRT because of the complexity of my medical condition. Melatonin is not funded in New Zealand, which feels like another barrier to women or anyone who needs a good sleep. Through the Sexy Aging podcast episodes and the information shared by so many of the guests who have all experienced this symptom, it's obviously not such a phenomena and people are talking about it. This has empowered me to feel the confidence to explore how to address the symptoms, get on top of them and not accept them as the way things will be from here on. Thanks, Tia. So the changes happening to our bodies, specifically the hormonal changes, are responsible for so many of the symptoms that show up as we transition through menopause. The disruption of sleep has a heightened and flow-on effect to many of the symptoms I was personally experiencing. When I speak to others about some of the challenges they are experiencing with their menopause transition, lack of sleep is often a conversation starter. As we age, Magical melatonin, the hormone responsible for our sleep and wake cycle, begins to taper off, resulting in sleep disruption. Put that together with dropping estrogen and progesterone and you have a potent mix for that all-night dance party. Melatonin is responsible for more than our circadian rhythms. Blood pressure, body temperature and the release of other hormones can also be affected. Understanding this about my body, I began sleep tracking, which requires using a sleep tracker or wearing a smartwatch to bed. The daily data and trends help me to understand the importance of the sleep cycle and the optimum amount of sleep needed for my gender and stage of life. 
I learned what quality sleep meant and which activities will cause a bad night's sleep. When I began to use the sleep tracking app and added the specifics for my gender, age and activity levels, I could see the sleep cycle targets I should be aiming for and the patterns in my own sleep or lack of. The sleep tracker begins to record data once you lie down in bed. The descriptions and targets for a sleep cycle are provided with my personal metrics. While sleeping, we experience a series of sleep cycles that comprise of REM or rapid eye movement and non-REM sleep. REM sleep is associated with dreaming and usually has the most impact at the back end of your sleep. REM sleep is for mental restoration, converting short-term memories into long-term ones. This would be likened to backing up your memory on your computer or your smartphone. The goal for REM sleep is 15 to 25% of total time sleeping. For non-REM sleep, there are three stages and some baseline goals for a 50-year-old woman. For example, if you aim to consistently reach seven hours of sleep per night, stage one is between awake and asleep, and the recommended target is 12 to 24% of total sleep time, or between 1.5 to one hours. Stage two is light sleep, where your body temperature and heart rate lowers and breathing regulates. The target is for 40 to 60% of total sleep time between three and four hours. Stage three, deep sleep, gives, gives physical and mental restoration. Aim for eight to 16% of total sleep time between one to one and a half hours of sleep. The most common time to wake for perimenopausal women is between 2 and 4 a.m. when REM sleep is starting to lengthen. Being awake during one to two sleep cycles affects the brain's ability to back up. Over time, the negative impact to your life includes forgetfulness, brain fog, fatigue, and feeling impatient or just fucked off to put it bluntly. Consistently waking up through the night will wreak havoc on your hormones. That 2 to 4 a.m. window is where you need to be sleeping for hormone regulation and to avoid the fallout from further perimenopause effects. You want to be asleep, but your changing hormone production is keeping you awake. Here's a list of the hormones and the changes. Decreasing melatonin. Melatonin regulates our sleep-wake cycle. Melatonin naturally decreases with age. Increasing cortisol. This hormone increases with age and stress. Decreasing serotonin. Our happy hormone decreases as we age, which is linked to feelings of heightened anxiety and or depression, a bit like being that angry old, old lady. Decreasing estrogen. Having less estrogen makes it harder to fall asleep and stay asleep and has a direct impact on serotonin levels. Less estrogen means less serotonin. Falling estrogen levels affect body temperature regulation as well. So cue the hot flashes and the night sweats. Decreasing progesterone. Progesterone helps us to relax. So decreasing levels of progesterone produce less of a sedative effect. And then we have insulin and cortisol. So higher levels of insulin and cortisol in the body will slow down overnight fat burning and make it harder for melatonin to help you rest and sleep. Hence the correlation between poor sleep and increasing fat, particularly to the belly. If after reading or listening and digesting all these facts on hormones and how they affect your sleep, 
You may be thinking that there is no hope, but hang in there. If we focus on this symptom first, we can successfully support some of the other symptoms that align themselves with perimenopause. Here are some tips for supporting your sleep disruption. If you're listening to this chapter and you're feeling the frustration at not being able to sleep through the night, I feel you, I got you. That sensation of half functioning throughout the day and all the other fallouts from a sleepless night are debilitating. Here are a list of things you could try and gradually make daily conscious changes for the betterment of your life in this next stage. I recommend that you start with one or two of the suggestions below that feel easy to implement and then gradually add on more as some of these tips will challenge aspects of your current lifestyle. So first, prioritize your natural rhythm. Working longer hours, staying up later and watching TV well into the night are messing with our body's circadian rhythm. Melatonin production relies on our body to wake up and go to sleep at the optimal times. Waking up with the sun, 6 to 7 a.m., and getting outside into the natural light when possible optimizes our master internal clock. At night, reduce screen time or blue light. This is another inhibitor of melatonin production. Using blue light blocking glasses, the night setting on your devices, and shutting down devices 60 to 90 minutes before going to bed can improve the quality of your sleep. The goal is to get seven to nine hours of quality sleep based on the stages and optimal recommendations for your age and gender. Using a sleep tracker will help you understand what is happening on a nightly basis. It will only take two weeks of data before you notice the correlations in quality, quantity, and how you feel throughout the day. Leading up to bedtime, switch off all devices or move away from the laptop, the TV or the iPad. This really does mean that you won't be watching Netflix or any device-driven entertainment from bed. I have to be so disciplined with this during the work week as my sleep quality has obviously impacted with device use versus reading a book before lights out. I do enjoy the weekends for Netflix catch-ups though. Your bedtime ritual, and I really mean ritual. A conscious play-by-play checklist that you implement to relax your body and mind. It can be really challenging to follow through on the list when you have work and home to-do lists that flow into your evenings. The work deadline that now requires your attention after everyone else has gone to bed, the laundry that needs folding, the bills that need to be paid, I know it. One thing I've mastered the art of through the years is delegation. Recruit the family members to decrease your to-do list and explain nicely that they will enjoy a loving kind and all about them mum versus bitch psychotic killer mum when they can help you tackle the to-do list so you can get to bed at a reasonable hour. If your family have been on the receiving end of psycho mum too many times, then they don't need an explanation as to why they're now folding the laundry on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Caffeine. Two cups maximum per day both before 12 o'clock. Exercise. If you're planning a hard workout, get it done before midday. More gentle movements such as walks and slow flow yoga are better later in the day. Cortisol levels are at their highest after waking up and cortisol also spikes through high intensity exercise. So this doesn't help if you want to sleep. Allow your cortisol levels to decrease throughout the day and set yourself up for a better chance of quality sleep. No naps. Try not to nap during the day. 
we're trying to regulate our circadian rhythms and a nap, unless you've had no sleep the night before or you're ill, will mess with that. Alcohol really screws with sleep quality. The best nights to focus on getting quality sleep is from Sunday through to Friday. So try to abstain until the weekend and then stop drinking before 7pm. Unless it's a celebration, then, you know, go for it. I'm not a killjoy. Those special moments in life that require celebration, they're important. If you've been using a sleep tracker, you will see a direct correlation between sleep quality and alcohol consumption. Nutrition tips. Avoid spicy and acidic foods at night. Include high quality carbohydrates. Carbohydrates, yes, such as sweet potato, brown rice, lentils and quinoa. I have a strong science-based view on nutrition and depriving yourself of healthy complex carbohydrates is not optimal at any stage of life. Set yourself a timer to remind you it's time to wind down and shut down your device 60 to 90 minutes before you plan to go to bed. Put everything away. A quick tidy up and prepping your bedroom for sleep gets you in the mood. Make a list of priorities for the next day. Write it down. And while you're writing, list three to five things you're grateful for. You know all the science about that, so no preaching here. Set up your bedroom candle or diffuser, or both. Research tells us that the inhalation of lavender essential oil is a safe, low-cost practice that should be considered as a complementary option to conventional treatments, whether medical, psychological, or other integrative and complementary practices. Try a simple and relaxing 10 to 15 minute yoga practice or stretches followed by five to 10 minutes of meditation. This is physically and mentally preparing your wind down. Take a warm and relaxing bath or shower. I found that when I lived in the tropics, it was better for my body to have a tepid shower and lower my body temperature. But now that I'm back in New Zealand with four seasons, that hot shower sure feels good in the cold of winter. If possible, Lower the temperature of your bedroom to around 18 degrees Celsius or 65 degrees Fahrenheit. If you aren't able to manipulate your room temperature, ensure that you've got cool cotton sheets or a bamboo blanket. Use blackout curtains to enhance that circadian rhythm, blocking out any street light. Read, whether it's 15 minutes or up until lights out. Nighttime herbal teas, any combination of chamomile, passion flower, Lemon balm, lavender, oat flower, lime flower, licorice root, valerian root, they're all a great addition to your bedtime routine. I know this seems like a lot to get you ready for bed and quality sleep. The key is to choose some practices and see how those work for you. Start with the tips that feel the most natural to you and repeat those for five to seven days. Then add on one more if you feel you can improve further. I can't say with 100% certainty whether HRT improved my sleep or not, as by the time I had started using it, I had an excellent bedtime routine which provided me with good quality sleep. My personal opinion leans towards doing what you can from, a, from the list, because these are healthy and lifelong recommendations that will make great improvements to your symptoms overall. So if HRT is not your choice, not your option, then maximizing these recommendations should be a priority. There are some recommended sleep support supplements. So here they are. Magnesium glycinate, 400 to 600 milligrams, 60 minutes before bedtime. Look for the glycinate version as it's able to cross the blood-brain barrier. 
affects the bowels less and is better for sleep, mood and migraines. Melatonin. So in New Zealand, it's possible to get a prescription for two milligrams. This is a regulated supplement. So take it 60 minutes before bedtime. And vitamin B6, B12, this has been shown to boost serotonin levels. Vitamin B6 can be prescribed by your GP and the recommended dosage is 25 to 50 milligrams per day while being mindful of the levels of B6 and other supplements taken. So hopefully you've been able to get some great tips to help you with your sleep or sleep challenges. I'll also put the science support and resources in the show notes so that you can check those out if you want a little bit more information on some of the points I've mentioned. And next time, we will be talking about fatigue. My disclaimer, I am a qualified lifelong fitness professional, but I am not a medical expert. And so the recommendations I've made in the episodes are through research, recommendations from women's health experts and through my personal experience. I've always believed that you can influence your own personal health through the foundations of movement, adequate nutrition and lifestyle factors, sleep, not smoking, a stress-free existence, community and a sense of purpose. By actively seeking to make incremental improvements in any of these key areas and stay the course, Medical conditions aside, you can continue to make positive changes that have a lasting impact over time. I want to help women in the future figure out how they should be exercising for maximum fitness and wellness gains. I've made good progress on many of the symptoms that have affected me daily. My sleep improved, my gut health repaired, and I had a general sense of well-being that lasted most days. And yet, I still had niggling symptoms that annoyed me, and despite all the natural methods, I wanted to explore MHT, menopause hormone therapy, also known as HRT, hormonal replacement therapy. I wanted to see if this would make a difference, and for me personally, it did. For those symptoms I've included where HRT helped me, so I will say that HRT might not be the choice for everyone and I would always recommend prioritising the necessary lifestyle changes alongside HRT for best results. My final take on this, it is not up to us as women to judge each other whether we take out HRT or not, whether we choose to live a life without medical intervention or not. Our role as women is to support each other in our personal decisions around our health. 